Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. From the heart of the Carolinas, a voice in the wilderness, a thought-provoking broadcast in a world of ignorant nonsense. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Don't they? Yes, I guess you're right. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. And good morning. Welcome to the broadcast. Good to be back with you. Hope all is well in your world. You know, we talk so many times on this program about the issue of narratives. And we had some extended segments on this very subject over the past few days. And I continue to encourage you, because I think most of you are people in the know. You're thoughtful people, just by the fact that you're engaged in talk radio. And I'm serious when I say this, you're a cut above the rest. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with music stations or anything like that. I enjoy listening to music in my off time. But I can also tell you that I find it very, very significant that many of you are listening to talk radio because you're cultivating your minds. You are readers. You're researchers. You wanted to dig into deeper meanings of things and not just accept somebody's word for it, not accept what an advocacy group tells you. And it's for that reason. You listen to programs like this. You want to go a little deeper. And you want a balanced picture of reality, the real world, real life. Not the universe that is created by fantasy. I think, as you know, the left very much is engaged in creating fantasy world because the goal is to produce some sort of utopia and utopia comes about by the right people being in office who are going to fix all of our problems they're going to have all of the experts to address every single thing that the human heart desires so I commend you for the fact that you don't settle for that. I'm reminded as well just how much work we have to do. And the reason behind this is because so many folks are not very thoughtful. They buy into the narratives. No matter what these narratives are. I had an interesting conversation yesterday evening and I think I intrigued some family members <laughs> who I was having a discussion with. I gave them my very short monologue on what I think has happened to advocacy groups, civil rights groups, women's groups, the alphabet mafia groups, because the agenda has really shifted shifted from where it started for all of these organizations. One of the things that you're likely to hear as a result of the abandonment of Roe versus Wade is how many women's lives are in danger, not just the women who just want a safe legal abortion by the fact that they might have to risk their lives to do a back alley abortion. But there's also the danger of these extremists who are opposed to abortions who might commit acts of violence against clinics and other places. Haven't you heard this narrative? That this is the threat out there. And what's really terrible, what's really terrible is how so many people are potentially intimidated to the point where they 
may not feel comfortable enough to go to one of these clinics and kill their babies. I mean, that's, that's really what they're saying here. Well, let's blow up another narrative this morning, ladies and gentlemen. For all of the belly aching and all of the histrionics out of the mainstream news media and the radical leftist groups, we've learned something very interesting from the FBI. A really good post, this post is from a man you're probably familiar with. I believe he's a liberal, Jonathan Turley. I really like Jonathan Turley. He's a liberal, but the guy is fair. Here's what he posted on social media. The FBI just announced 70% of the abortion-related attacks have been on pro-life centers. Is this what you've been hearing? I haven't. Turley goes on to say it appears the inverse of the coverage of the mainstream media, which is focused on the minority of attacks on pro-choice locations. Boy, isn't this interesting. Now again, this is not something where I'm going to tell you to believe me, listen me, trust me. Well, why don't we turn to the story itself? And the story emanates from the FBI director, Christopher Wray, who addressed the genuine statistics on what's happened with violence related to abortion. Here is Christopher Wray in a conversation with Senator Rick Scott on the subject of abortion-related threats of violence and violence. Listen up. Well, first let me say uh, I firmly believe that the FBI is going about its work uh, and doing the right thing in the right way. Now, uh, I'm glad you raised this topic because it gives me an opportunity to speak to it. Uh, we have our view, my view, plainly expressed to all of our people, uh, including in the context of abortion-related violence, is that I don't care what side of the issue you're on, uh, you don't get to engage in violence, and we are equal opportunity when it comes to that. Now, we have quite a number of investigations as we speak into attacks or threats against pregnancy resource centers, faith-based organizations, and other pro-life organizations. And you might be interested uh, to know that since the uh, Dobbs Act decision, probably in the neighborhood of 70% of our abortion-related uh, violence cases or threats cases are cases of violence or threats against pro-life. It's where the victims are, are pro-life organizations. Um, and we're going after that through our Joint Terrorism Task Forces, uh, through our criminal authorities, FACE Act, and things like that. We have about 20 field offices involved in this. And so we take it very seriously. And again, I don't care whether you're motivated by pro-life views or pro-choice views. You don't get to use violence to express it. Wow, Christopher Ray, who is setting the record straight here, most of these cases where we see violence or threats of violence, the target, pro-life entities. So this is yet another thing that I hope you keep in mind as you watch the mainstream news media and see how this issue is covered. Keep this in mind. Remember, who is really committing the majority of these acts and threats of violence. Don't forget it, ladies and gentlemen. Stay with us. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program and over on the text line, this person saying, Vince, I texted you the other day about this issue, pro-life attacks, clinics, Catholic churches, or any churches that are pro-life. And this person's basically saying, this reminds this texter of 1930s Germany. The brown shirts were attacking anything Jewish. The black shirts were attacking anything religious. Why isn't the media reporting this? It doesn't fit the narrative. That's the reason. 
we have a media that no longer is simply reporting news. They have a filter by which they view these things. And this is how they report. Another pro-life issue we will talk about a little bit later on. But before we get there, I want to listen in on some pretty interesting things that are going on right now in Walterboro, South Carolina. This is a trial that's getting a lot of attention. In fact, it's getting nationwide attention, the trial of Alex Murdaugh. It is underway. They're calling this one of the most highly publicized trials in modern South Carolina low country history. It got underway yesterday in Collison County with some strong and graphic testimony. I understand that that testimony is continuing today. The person on the stand right now, I do not know his name, but he's speaking right now. He is one of the first responders, I believe. I want to listen in a little bit of what he has to say in the courtroom. This is a live feed of what is taking place. Uh, let's listen up. Call for two hours this afternoon in the pickup truck. That's your son, Paul. Okay. Somebody go to check them. Yes, sir. They, they've already checked them. They did check them? Yes, sir. That's official that they're dead? Yes, sir. That's what it looks like. When you observed these victims, was it obvious that they had injuries incompatible with life? Yes, any reasonable person that came upon those bodies would have come to a conclusion that they were deceased. Mm. I'm sorry. Mm. You're fine. Mm. I'm very sorry. Can I call her here? What, what's, what's her name? Her name's Maggie Murdoch. Margaret Branstetter Murdoch. How you doing? What's her birthday? Um. Pause it right there. What did the defendant just say? Let me back it up. Margaret Branstetter Murdoch. How you doing? What did the defendant say right there? So while I'm in the process of gathering information about the two victims from Mr. Murdaugh, somebody walks by behind me and he pauses what he's telling me to say, hey, how you doing? How you doing? Yeah. And who was that he said that to? I'm not 100% certain. I believe it was a fire rescue individual. What's her birthday? Um, 9-15-68. Okay. And what's your son's first name? You said Paul? Paul Terry Murdaugh. And what's his birthday? Jason, um, if you have any through town, if you can stop and pick up that tent, I see lights and light in the distance. What, are you covering them up? I got some getting dressed now, Sheriff. I'll help somebody stop and grab it. Tell them they don't have to do that. They don't need to. Preserve what we can. This is audio of Alex Murdoch. As you're listening to the... Live feed out of the courtroom. What's Paul's birthday? Um, uh, April 14th, uh, sir. Now, this witness, by the way, is testifying. Murderot did not appear to be crying. He said 99. This, as you know, is part of the prosecutor's case as we listen in. He was born April 14, 1999. Okay. What's your, what's your first name, sir? My name is Alex Richard Alexander Murdoch. Let me ask you this. In your interactions with Mr. Murdoch, was he able to understand your questions and respond appropriately to what you were asking? Yes. Was he catatonic in any way? No. He was able to answer all the questions that I asked him. Was he panicking in any way? He seemed upset, but I wouldn't say panicky. Uh, did you notice any labored breathing or anything like that from Mr. Murdoch? Yeah, he um, was breathing heavily. Uh, never once did he complain about um, not being able to breathe. I mean, there were fire rescue guys out there. He didn't ask for any kind of medical attention or anything like that due to not being able to breathe. Richard Alexander Murdoch.
Well, we're going to break away from this, but I wanted you to listen in just a little bit to give you a sense of uh, how this is um, really starting off with a bang, this trial. And as I mentioned, it's getting national attention. Many of you in the upstate have been following this story. Uh, to give you some background, for those of you who may not be familiar with this story, uh, here's what this case is all about. They, the prosecution, is trying to prove that Murdoch murdered his wife and his son on the night of June 7th, 2021. And... That's really the heart of this case. Right now, you are hearing witnesses. You've just heard one of the witnesses who's testifying. They also played some actual audio of conversation that took place with Mr. Murdoch the night of the murder. And they are partially raising questions about his state of mind in terms of, is, is this consistent with somebody who would truly be in grief after finding, as he reported, his wife and his son dead. So that's what's happening right now during this trial. You're hearing testimony that has taken place uh, to uh, speak to the events that occurred that night and this first encounter with a first responder with Mr. Murdoch himself. We'll continue to follow this trial. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how all of this unfolds. I, I'm watching right now the video of this, and uh, even without listening in, it looked very, very intriguing and very obvious that um, people in the courtroom are very much glued to what is taking place here. So we'll keep you posted on developments in this particular case and uh, give you any updates along the way. A little bit earlier, I told you we'd have another story on the pro-life issue because this is going to be interesting to watch in the aftermath of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Now we've got a totally different environment because whereas before you had politicians who could say, well, Roe versus Wade is the law of the land. There's nothing I can do about it. Now it's a totally different ballgame. You've got a scenario where this is a battle that is fought in every state. And there are some pro-life groups that are very much concerned about the lack of fight from some politicians, including right here in the Carolinas. We'll talk about that as we continue. Stay with us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. If you'd like to join the conversation, call Vince on the GS Plumbing Talk Line at 800-928-1110. That's 800-928-1110. Or text the Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line at 71307. Now, back to Vince. And over on that text line, we've got this. Vince, I just started listening to your show. Abortion's a painful subject. And that we don't come together to be aware, really, how the procedure is done. Maybe there should be a 30 minutes, a 30-minute view on how abortion is done for 60 minutes with Scott Pelley chewing on his reading glasses. Yeah, right. <laughs> don't hold your breath waiting for that. You know how this works. I love this text. The biggest false narrative out there to me, the Democrat Party, is for black people. <laughs> yeah, that is a huge, huge false narrative. Vincent, your view, is Alex Murdoch, is he a sociopath? Perhaps like the person who committed the murders out in Idaho? I don't know. I really don't. This story is really bizarre. It's quite bizarre. And it'll be interesting to see what 
line of defense that we see out of the legal team that really, I think, has quite a job cut out for it. So, hopefully we'll be able to answer your question once this is over with, with some of the testimony we're likely to hear during the course of this trial. I mentioned the abortion issue and how, in terms of narratives, you have people in the mainstream news media and politicians on the left that would have you believe that abortion clinic workers and others and patients, they're at risk because of people who want to get rid of abortions. And we've established the fact that 70% of the violence and threats of violence are directed toward pro-life people. Well, on this subject, we're starting to find out a little little bit more about what some of these politicians are made of. You see, it was very easy to hide when Roe versus Wade was in place because there was really nothing for Republicans to do except for to talk about how they're pro-life. But when you have to vote, when you have to speak, when you have to take a stand, that may not be popular. It's another story, isn't it? Breitbart has an interesting story about how one South Carolina member of Congress is coming under scrutiny because of her position. A leading pro-life group has blasted Nancy Mace for claiming abortion is the reason why Republicans did not win a larger majority in the midterms. Marjorie Denenfelser, president of Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, released a statement this week after Mace's appearance on NBC's Meet the Press. During the interview, Mace said abortion is the reason we didn't get more of a majority. Abortion is the reason. She said we could have had a two-dozen-seat majority, but we don't. This was an issue top of mind for swing voters. When you're looking ahead to 2024, going to the extremes and digging in, this isn't going to work for most people. When I look at every issue, not just on Roe versus Wade, but every issue, we're so divided. Isn't that interesting? Dannenfelser stated Mace said she is pro-life, while implying that her Democrat colleagues are currently willing to reach a national compromise on abortion. Ms. Dannenfelser added, she failed to mention every Democrat except one just voted against a bill that would have required babies born alive. Are you listening to this? Babies born alive after a failed abortion to receive basic health care rather than be left to die. She goes on, being pro-life requires opposition to the destruction of children and tragic underestimation of women that abortion is, this is first and foremost, a human rights issue. And failure to take a strong, coherent stand and contrast it with the extremism of the other side, for example, by supporting a minimum national standard limiting abortions when unborn babies' heartbeats can be detected or when they feel pain, it's an abandonment of leadership. And she says it's also a losing political strategy, as we saw in the midterms. So she's saying the real reason, if if they're losing, it's because... They've really not given people a reason to vote for them because they're wishy-washy. That's what she's saying. Now, Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America, has previously slammed attempts by squishy Republicans to blame the less-than-dazzling outcome of the 2022 midterms on the pro-life movement. Ms. Dannenfelser put out a memo after the midterms, pointing out GOP, this is really important, folks, GOP pro-life candidates win in competitive races if they define their opponents as abortion extremists who support abortion on demand with no limits and contrast that with a clearly defined pro-life position centered around consensus such as pain, capable, or heartbeat limits. She pointed to examples of candidates 
who did this very effectively and either have won or have a strong shot at winning as races are settled. Like Marco Rubio. Right here in North Carolina, Senator Ted Budd. J.D. Vance in Ohio and Ron DeSantis down in Florida. Here's what she added. It's especially worth highlighting governors who signed ambitious pro-life legislation into law and never flinched politically despite running in competitive races. Ron DeSantis signed a pain-capable law won by 19.4%. Mike DeWine of Ohio signed a heartbeat law won by 25.6%. Brian Kemp signed a heartbeat law won by 7.5%. Greg Abbott signed a heartbeat law, trigger law, with complete protections, won by 11.1%. Now, nobody doubts that the Dobbs decision caused a political earthquake. It did give the Democrats the opportunity to motivate their depressed base. They spent $391 million on abortion-focused TV ads, and I saw a good number of those. But she said... They did not prevail against candidates who went on offense. While we have examples of pro-life GOP candidates who were prepared and went on offense, there are also examples of candidates who were not prepared and took the ostrich strategy, burying their heads in the sand and running from the issue, allowing their opponents to define them. And one example of that, Dr. Oz. And she says this is one of the reasons that you will not be calling him Senator Oz. I think this is really on the money. What do you think? Stay with us. Over on the text line, Vince, abortion's now a state's rights issue. It's never been a constitutional right. Remember what Obama said about Obamacare? It's the law of the land. Deal with it. <laughs> Vince, love your show on perspective. My question is, why can't the Republican Party really push birth control? It would be so much cheaper. Now that we've got control of the House, push free birth control and information. I, I think it's a brilliant idea. It's the perfect opportunity to promote a safe way to accomplish all the things that everybody seems to want. You've got people who don't want babies, obviously. Then other people who don't want abortions. There's your solution. This texter says, Vince, shouldn't we outlaw any form of contraception in doctors performing vasectomies? Isn't that denying a potential baby life? What is your position on this? Come on. It's a difference between, you know, it, it would be like a woman destroying her eggs. That's, that's not something that's a concern of mine. But at the point of fertilization, and certainly at the point where you have a heartbeat, that is a human being. And this has gone far beyond a potential life to a life, which is why I believe those lives need to be protected. Jim out of Easley says, Vince, unless the mother's life is in danger, no abortion is permissible. Remember, Planned Parenthood was founded by a devout white supremacist named Margaret Sanger for the express purpose of eradicating the black race. Nothing has changed for Democrats. No, it hasn't. Not in the least. I think it's great the Republicans keep pushing the abortion issue. I love it. I also love the fact Donald Trump is going to be back on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> no way him or his followers are going to let anybody else on the Republican side be the nominee. Total, complete chaos. This person is looking forward to what is ahead. Just curious, moving forward, are these unwanted children able to be dropped off at these politicians' houses? Well, why not? I'd rather have them dropped off alive than sucked into a sink. <laughs> I like this. This person saying, the solution is to keep your darn pants on. 
Don't want taxpayers paying for anything. Yeah. And this person reminding me, we already get free birth control in the state of South Carolina. Okay. That sounds like a great promotional campaign to make people aware of that. What do you think? Would that even do any good? Kind of curious about that. I raised the question earlier this week. Earlier this week, we had a discussion about the decision that Joe Biden had apparently made, and we now know that he has made, to supply Ukraine with tanks for their ongoing war with Russia. And one of the questions I raised, should we be concerned about the level of involvement that we have? We're going to talk about this question in just a bit, because now... There are calls for us to supply other types of weapons. See, this is the question I raised the other day. Where do we stop? Before we delve into this, let's go out to a call from Ethan, wanting to talk about the abortion issue. Good morning, Ethan, and welcome. Good morning, Vince. I love your show. Thank you for being out there. Thank Uh, you. So, the birth control, um, or most forms of it, I'm not super familiar with it, but... Most forms of birth control are also an abortifacient, so um, it often does cause the baby to die. So I know that that would be one reason that wouldn't a lot of people wouldn't agree with that. A lot of the pro-life movement, myself now, I'm, included. I'm curious. Are, are you Catholic, Ethan? No, I'm a Christian. Okay, the reason I ask that, because I know there are a lot of, uh, this is very much a Catholic view um, on this particular subject to the point where, and this is why you have someone like uh, Clarence Thomas, who has even brought up the subject of contraception, and, uh, you know, it's, this is where it gets really, um, gets a little bit messy, to say the least. Um, I do get it with the morning after pill, for instance. I recognize, you know, that that's one thing. But would you agree, though, that we should at least, in the very least, we should look for the the greatest consensus we can find on this issue? For instance, uh, the heartbeat, do you think that's a good place to start? And perhaps we can move back from there, Ethan. What do you think? Well, I think in a lot of ways it looks very attractive to do like the heartbeat bills and things like that. Um, but it's also to some degree, um, it's often like you're even throwing a bone and you're accepting it rather than taking, than, than you're, it's, on the uh, it's, fact that it is a life and. Yeah, it sounds like you're you're looking for more, Ethan, and I fully understand that. I am so sorry that we're up against a hard break. Do call again, Ethan. We can continue the subject another time. Hour number two is straight ahead. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. From the heart of the Carolinas, challenging the smug, misinformed arrogance of the left. The trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. And we are in hour number two of our broadcast on this Thursday. Earlier in the week, I mentioned my concern... And I think it's the concern of a lot of people in this country about the creeping mission that we're seeing unfold in Ukraine. Now, I I made it very clear that I believe and I hope I hope that Ukraine prevails and they're able to ultimately ultimately prevent Russia from taking over their country. That's my hope. The question mark is how much assistance should we provide to them? Is there a point where we're going to say, you know what, this is a little much? I'm curious. I'm very curious about this. 
So earlier in the week, we're having a conversation about tanks. Now we have a story reported by The Hill. Ukraine will now push for F-16 fighter jets. (laughs) That's what they're looking for now. So now we've got the main battle tanks from the U.S. and Germany headed to Ukraine. Now they want modern fighter jets from Western allies. Yuri Sack, an advisor to Ukraine's defense secretary, told The Hill he was optimistic about receiving Western fighter jets like America's F-16s. Ukrainians have sought these since early last year when Russia first invaded. He said, every type of weapon we request we needed yesterday. We'll do everything possible to ensure Ukraine gets fourth generation fighter jets as soon as possible. Now, Reuters reported on this quite some time ago about the desire on the part of the Ukrainians to get these jets. So they've scored the M1s that they were looking for, the Abrams main battle tanks, 31 of those from America. Germany, indicating yesterday they're going to supply Ukraine with the country's Leopard 2 tanks and approve the transfer of other Leopards from European allies. That was the latest hurdle for Western allies. And they cautiously approved more and more advanced weaponry. So the question is now, do we go to fighter jets? Western fighter jets and longer-range artillery units, which would allow Ukraine to strike Russian forces deeper in occupied territory, will likely be the next debate for NATO. Right now, Ukraine is using Soviet-era fighter jets. Soviet-era. These are relics, ladies and gentlemen. MiG-29s, which became a point of controversy last March when the U.S. declined to facilitate the transfer of MiGs from Poland to Kiev. So far, the U.S. has resisted sending the F-16 fighter jets and does not appear ready to announce their transfer anytime soon. Well, we got indications there was some resistance on the tanks, too. And where did that end up? National Security Advisor John Kirby told reporters yesterday the U.S. was in constant discussions with Ukraine, and we evolved those as the conditions change. Hmm. Can't blame the Ukrainians for wanting more and more systems, Kirby said. It's not the first time they've talked about fighter jets. But I don't have any announcements to make on that front. I would suggest that we add the word yet. How comfortable are you with this? Do you have any concern here about an escalation? Add this particular story to the mix. Reuters... And all along, I get the propaganda, the government, news media. I get all of that stuff. At some point, though, do you have to be concerned? Do you have to have a concern about Russia's perception of our complicity in this battle? Well, the Russians have said today... It sees the promised delivery of Western tanks to Ukraine as evidence of direct and growing U.S. and European involvement in the conflict. This is the Kremlin's first reaction to the decision to send those tanks in. There are constant statements from European capitals in Washington, the sending of various weapon systems to Ukraine, including tanks, in no way signifies the involvement of these countries or in the alliance in hostilities in Ukraine, according to a Kremlin spokesman. We categorically disagree with this. And in Moscow, everything the alliance and the capitals I mentioned are doing is seen as direct involvement in the conflict. We see that this is growing. Now, in our minds, we're looking at this Hey, all we're doing is supplying the weapons. We're not firing those weapons. We're giving them tanks. We're not sending personnel in those tanks. 
But for all practical purposes, the Kremlin is communicating, you know, this is direct involvement. Now, President Joe Biden, for his part, said the tanks posed no offensive threat to Russia and they were needed to help the Ukrainians improve their ability to maneuver in open terrain. Now, Ukraine is one of really hundreds of modern tanks to basically put together what they're calling a fist of freedom to give troops the firepower to break Russian defensive lines and reclaim occupied territory in the south and the east. Until now, both Ukraine and Russia have been relying primarily on Soviet-era T-72 tanks. But right now, what Russia sees is increasing confrontation with NATO. Not so much a battle with Ukraine. But NATO getting more and more involved here. A close ally of President Vladimir Putin and Secretary of his Security Council quoted as saying the course of the special military operation in Ukraine shows the U.S. and NATO intend to continue making efforts to drag out this military conflict and have become its participants. I'm just asking, how comfortable are you with this? Is this how you want to be perceived as being an active participant in this battle? Interfax News Agency quoted this friend of Vladimir Putin as saying, even with the end of the hot phase of this conflict in Ukraine, the Anglo-Saxon world will not stop the proxy war against Russia and its allies. These Russian military commentators focus much of their attention on the German-made Leopard tanks, which both Berlin and other European NATO members are now set to send to Ukraine, describing them as a threat, but not a game-changer. Still, expressing confidence, they've got this thing. Love to get your thoughts on our role there as to whether there should be some limits here. Coming up, we'll talk about the economy. And elections, winning the popular vote, not just electoral votes. That much more as we continue. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program over on the text line. I have no problem with the East providing more advanced weapons to Ukraine. The Russians are buying drones from Iran, leveraging their relationship with North Korea tried to get China more involved and they're recruiting Soviet bloc countries to actually fight in the war hmm so what do you think about that we need to end that treaty to defend Ukraine because they're now hopelessly corrupt, oppressive government that is committing genocide. Hmm. We are at war with Russia. It's just a proxy war. We had bioweapons labs on Russia's border. It was a genesis for this whole thing. This has been planned from the beginning. Heading down the road to one world order the one world order war mm-hmm. last night mark levin brought up something i'd forgotten we signed a treaty pledging to defend ukraine if they surrendered their nukes that they had when russia fell when the ussr fell yeah we talked about that on this broadcast boy were they mistaken should have never gotten rid of those nukes, by the way. And this is not a vote for Ukraine. This is just saying, at the end of the day, defend yourselves. Defend yourselves. And I would much rather see countries defending themselves and doing that well, rather than looking to us. That's my position anyway. 
What are your thoughts? Let's go out to the sprawling metropolis of Monroe and Craig, who is joining us. Good morning, Craig. How are you? Hey, can you hear me? I've got you, sir. Okay, great. Listen, this is such a complicated situation going on in Ukraine. I'm very aware of it because uh, I've been following this for a long time. I lived in Ukraine. Uh, You know, the biggest problem I have is the United States is such a hypocrite on all of this. Uh, You know, I don't want to talk too much about it because most people don't really understand what's really going on there as far as all the geopolitical stuff. But I can tell you, I believe the United States is slow walking the destruction of Ukraine, not because it wants to, but because its main objective is to bleed Russia and remove it as a as a uh, geopolitical world power. For example, why didn't we give these tanks if this was such a great idea six months ago? You know, and the F-16s for that matter. Go ahead and let well, them have those too. Well, what they're doing is they're starting. You know, anytime you do a negotiation, you always go high. So they're going. They're saying we need advanced fighters, but actually, what they're wanting to do is get some of these Soviet planes moved over there as a more realistic uh, next step until the until the uh, more advanced ones come in. But the point of it is, is that Ukraine is taking a huge number of casualties, as is Russia, but they're taking even more because something like seventy-five, eighty percent of every death over in that area is from artillery and russia is just like six to one on you on artillery so all of these people being killed over there they're not being killed by gunfire they're all being just blown apart and if you go on you know any of these uh telegram you can see these these horrific images where you know the russians or the ukraines posting these photos of just like the most grotesque bodies it's just incredible. But like I said, the biggest problem is that we are watching the nation of Ukraine be destroyed so that we can destroy Russia. And this is and the, the Ukrainian people, the soldiers are the ones that are just being destroyed. It's just it's just an incredible, horrific scene. And there's so much uh, misinformation or one sided information that the media is running with. I mean, I could just dissect any angle of it, but it's too complicated for most people. Uh, But let me just throw this out there. If Russia is the bad guy in this for not wanting NATO on its doorstep, then we are the bad guy also because we have a more extreme policy. Our Monroe Doctrine, and we've enforced this from Cuba, And we have shown that we will not allow any great power to have a military footprint, not just on our border, but anywhere from Argentina to Nova Scotia. So this is our policy. When uh, the USSR wanted to put missiles in Cuba, the first thing we did was we blockaded it, and we said, no, it's not going to happen. Cuba is a sovereign country. This is the thing that we we defend sovereign countries. Well, we did the same thing. We said we will go to nuclear war so that you can't put missiles off of Florida. And that what we're doing is we're saying Ukraine is a sovereign nation and they can join NATO. And once they're in NATO and they have the choice to join NATO, they can also choose to house nuclear weapons on their land. And why not, right? They're a free country. And you can see why this is an an untenable position for Russia to allow NATO right on its most vulnerable border with no natural barriers to stop an invasion. Now, you know as well as I do, the idea of Ukraine invading Russia, you know, in a in a hostile situation in a uh, where they're in an offensive position it's unlikely you know this is largely driven by the propaganda from the russians which is they feel threatened do, do you, you think, think they have do you think they have reason to feel threatened absolutely not not from ukraine it's only a country of well it's probably down to less than 40 million people now uh but they're not worried about Ukraine. They're worried about the United States militarizing, and which they've, they've basically been a de facto NATO uh, alliance. And uh, 
this is the other terrible thing. We went in there and built their military and all this, and as soon as the Russians crossed the border, the whole NATO uh, team just left and went to Poland and just left them standing there. Yeah, we we've got some issues uh, over our history. There's no question about that. That Craig, I'm not here. Uh, very much appreciate your call. I'm not here to defend all of the action to the United States of America. I'll tell you what. The one of the things that really was an eye opener for me. I've mentioned this before. The book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, that's really opened my eyes to a lot, a lot of things that we have been involved in, and the reasons for it that really have nothing to do with American national security. And they have a lot to do with M-O-N-E-Y and international organizations. But that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> Still to come in the broadcast, we're going to talk about what's going on with our economy and elections. Is it possible? Is there any hope of Republicans ending a losing streak? We'll tell you what that streak is as we continue. Stay with us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Back on the Vince Coakley Radio Program. So what's going on with our economy? As you know, we've got the Federal Reserve... The Federal Reserve is in the midst of raising interest rates, try to slow things down, and try to get inflation under control. But here's what's happened. The gross domestic product rose at a 2.9% annualized pace in the fourth quarter, slightly better than expected. Consumer spending weakened from the previous period, but remained positive. A sharp slide in housing helped to pull down the GDP while boosts in government spending and private investment aided growth. Jobless claims fell last week. Durable goods orders increased sharply in December. This is mainly due to demand for aircraft. That's certainly a good thing. And I know it's, for one, a good thing for those of you in the upstate with the presence of Boeing. So, that's what's going on economically. This is a factoid a lot of people may not realize. The Hill has an interesting story. Referring to the Republican Party and its losing streak. Saying 2024 will mark 20 years since Republicans last won the popular vote. Can they rebrand in time to stop this losing streak? That's amazing. 20 years calling this a sorry anniversary for the Republican Party, 20 years since President George W. Bush's 2004 re-election campaign won both the popular and electoral college votes. This has not happened now for three GOP presidential nominees and one incumbent. The critical question is, are Republicans capable of nominating a winning ticket to halt this embarrassing losing trend? The writer of this saying, I doubt it, since rapidly changing demographics are reducing the Republicans' popular vote count in battleground states. In 2016, Donald Trump was elected president by winning only the Electoral College, a political fluke he did not repeat in 2020. However, the demeaning label illegitimate president can haunt a commander-in-chief who wins without the popular vote, just ask George W. Bush, circa 2000. More information on this. To understand how this forthcoming non-celebratory 20th anniversary of continuous political loss manifested itself, we go to the notable 2004 state voting data and compare it to 2020 state results. But first, the basic facts. Incumbent George W. Bush defeated John Kerry. In a demure, respectable campaign by today's standards, Bush won the popular vote 50.7 to 48.3. 
the Electoral College vote 286 to 251. Subsequently, four states totaling 32 electoral votes that contributed to Bush stopping 270 in 2004 have since become GOP Electoral College dropouts. Starting in 2008, every Democratic presidential ticket has won the following states. Virginia with 13, Colorado with 10, Nevada with 6, New Mexico with 5. So where does the Republican Party go to replace those 34 electoral votes? Good question. GOP presidential candidates dream about turning back the clock. But wake up to this daunting data. In 2004, Bush won Georgia, Virginia, actually, by a safe 8.2 percentage points. In 2020, Biden won by an even safer 10.1. E. Colorado used to be Bush country by a comfortable, a comfortable margin, 4.7 percentage points. In 2020, Biden achieved an astounding 13.5 point victory. E. New Mexico, 2004 Bush squeaker. He won by 0.7%. Biden triumphed with 10.7. This picture is not looking good, is it? New Mexico. Then there's Nevada. Bush took the state by only 2.6 points. Biden won by a three-point margin. And then we've got that demographic voter problem that will dog the Republican Party into 2024. The major obstacle using data from the Roper Center from 2004 and 2020. In 2004, whites composed 77% of voters, a share that shrunk to 67 by 2020. Bush re-elected in 2004 after winning the white vote 58-41 over Kerry. But in 2020, Trump lost re-election Joe Biden even after winning whites 58-41, the same percentage Bush won in 2004. Hence, that 10% drop in whites as a share of voters from 2004 to 2020 proved detrimental to Trump. And in 2024, the white percentage will continue shrinking, perhaps by three points. The same decrease from 2016 to 20, when whites dipped from 70 to 67. By comparison, 1984 Roper data shows 86% of voters were white when President Reagan won his re-election landslide, winning them 66 to 34 over Vice President Mondale. While still relying heavily on white voters, the Republican Party continues to lose states that is that it's historically been red. Most prominently, Georgia and Arizona in 2020. Do you see the pattern here? Now, I know there's, in fact, I want to share this text because I know I knew people were going to go here. I get it. This person saying, Vince, it's not a Republican losing streak. It's a Democrat cheating spree. Much proof of this has been silenced, enough to turn the elections to Republicans. It will be told one day, hopefully soon. Trust me on this. I know what I say is true. I respect what you're saying, disagree with what you're saying. And part of my concern is I don't see the movement toward fixing this at all. I don't see it. And that's disturbing. There are people who thought Georgia was a fluke, and you saw what just happened. The re-election of a leftist, a socialist in Georgia. Used to be a solid red state. Why are we losing demographics? Trump, who lost the popular vote in 2016, was elected president because he busted through the triple blue wall by winning an extra 77,744 votes spread across Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, earning 46 electoral votes. Then in 2020, those three states reverted to blue. Biden won them by the same margins as Trump in 2016. 
The Republican Party faces a crisis due to its shrinking white voter base. Unless it makes commensurate gains among the growing non-white electorate, which totaled 33% of voters in 2020, in which Biden won 71 to 26 over Trump, that 33% will increase in 2024. I've been saying this for quite some time. I hope somebody listens. <laughs> Stay with us. Over on the text line, this texture says, look like those so-called white voters were pretty smart and paid attention to what was going on around them. <laughs> Dems went from winning votes to gathering ballots. Republicans must do the same. Vince, just look at Brazil. They're about five years ahead of where we are going. God forbid. Georgia's lost until you get control of Gwinnett and Fulton County. You think that's going to happen? Perhaps part of the problem is Republicans who get elected act like Democrats after they take office. Many people figure they might as well just vote for the real Democrats instead of the fake ones. Everyone knows the term rhino. But you notice there's no comparable term dino or dino in our popular lexicon. You know, that's true. I don't see people being accused of being fake Democrats. Most of these folks, they are true to their convictions. As twisted as they are, you have to give them credit for being consistent. Vince, I believe both you and your previous texter can be right at the same time. Cheating is an issue at the ballot box with the Democrats. However, some of the blame can be shifted to establishment Republicans who want to keep things as they are. Also, the feeling of hopelessness among some voters Yeah, I fully understand that. Also, Vince, you just proved the great replacement theory. You will never see another Republican in the White House. Good day, Vince. Russ out of Moonville. Boy, that's a pretty dire prediction. <laughs> you know, it does raise the question. And I, folks, I feel in many ways like I'm the voice in the wilderness. Because I do think this battle is winnable. I do believe that there are millions of people out there receptive to a liberty message. The problem is there's very few people out there who really believe the liberty message. And they're not communicating that effectively to the people who need to hear it just my thought anyway time for us to take a look at the day in history how are you doing today chris i'm doing awesome you sound great from the wilderness well thank you i appreciate that <laughs> we have a total of eight questions here and some of these i will not even put in the form of question because this you'll never figure this out in a i might years. surprise you but uh, okay. you want me to try this one like 1788 no idea there was a ship <laughs> filled with this type of person out of England. They landed in Sydney Cove and established a settlement. Who were these people? They what were was pilgrims? I there. See, I told you you'd never would have figured. They're convicts. Convicts set up a, a, a settlement. You can be both in 1788. <laughs> yeah. You, okay. I, I'll give that one to Black you. Black hats. They, they were pilgrim convicts. How's that? Bad guys wear black hats. You know, pilgrims. Yeah, there you go. Convicts. 1838, this state directly to our west passed the very first prohibition law. Isn't that shocking? This state did that first? That'd be Tennessee. Tennessee. They certainly did. Well, that's that's an interesting place for that. Isn't that surprising? Because you, Kentucky and Tennessee have a uh, rich liquor history. Yeah, they sure do. I used to live in Kentucky. I can definitely testify to that. Oh, yeah. Big business. Na 1950, 
This is the world's most populous democracy on the planet. What is it? It was born in 1950. Oh, wow. Uh, um, I'll give you another hint. A lot of people from that country are here, and they're very much involved in technology. Um, very strong families. Japan? No, it's India. Okay, very good. India. The populous thing is... The uh, that whole region, whole lot of people there. 1965. I bet you, uh, I bet you had fun with this as a child. A lot of people did. This was originally designed to be a wallpaper cleaner. Instead, it's something that kids use to shape into different things. It's uh, you can make it with. That was the line from the commercials. I think you uh, can make it with silly putty. Play-Doh. Play-Doh. Do you remember play Did you ever have Play-Doh oh, growing up? Oh, of course. Up? You know, I've got five kids, so Play-Doh has been a huge part of my life over the past that 20 years. That was a whole lot of fun. Uh, we got to zip through this. Uh, 1979, this show premiered on TV. Our whole family watched this. Uh, the General Lee. You oh. remember the General Lee? The Dukes of Hazard. The Dukes of Hazard. 1979. 1980s, the U.S. Olympic Committee voted against attending the Olympics in this country. I think it was after an invasion of Afghanistan. Uh, Russia. Yeah, the Moscow Olympics. 2005, this uh, very sharp lady appointed as Secretary of State. First black Secretary of State, uh, Condoleezza, black woman, Condoleezza Con- Rice. Condi Rice in 2020, that tragic day, this day 19 in 2020, we sadly lost Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven others in a helicopter crash. That's Hug hard to believe. Kids. That's been three years. Three years ago. Amazing. Wow. That's all the time we have, folks. Thanks very much for joining us. Have yourselves a great day, and God bless you. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.